0: A woman fetching water saw the Spaniards and the Tlaxcalans, and at that moment shouted, saying, Mexicas, come running. Your enemies have already left. They are slipping away. Welcome back to the Past Four Plebs. This is our 14th episode. We have had quite the adventure exploring Mesoamerica, and our adventure is finally coming to a close. I'm actually a little bit sad about that. I am considering a few different directions in the next episodes, and we'll discuss that a little more at the end of the episode. But before we get started on today's topics, I did want to share a little bit of good news. Uh, this week in my history classes, we were learning about the Reformation, which which is a topic that I really find interesting. I spent a lot of time in college learning about it, and Honestly, this has been the first time I've been able to really share my passion for it with anyone as a teacher. Uh, I haven't really been able to enjoy the subject at this much since I was in college. Uh, And it's been really fun sharing my knowledge about the dynamic time period and getting them excited about the Reformation. And it's getting me more excited because these are all possible topics that I will explore in the future. After all, history is pretty much endless. Um, On the flip side, on a more solemn note, um, when this episode was produced, uh, you probably have noticed the world has been locked in a pretty intense back and forth between Israel and Palestine. Um, This is definitely an unfortunate reminder that we are living in a world where conflict and war is ongoing. In fact, just tonight, the news just reached me that the third oldest church in the world it's a Greek Orthodox Church in Israel, has been completely destroyed um, by bombing. The church was 1,600 years old. Um, And it's a reminder that to me, and I think to a lot of people in the world, that in addition to human lives, deep cultural roots and really just humanity are disrupted and erased in these conflicts um, and military action and bombings. So I don't really want to make this whole episode about the current issues going on, but I did want to just share my concerns as a historian to the damage that happens when wars and bombings occur. All right, so let's jump back into where we were. For the last two episodes, we have been learning about the different perspectives between the Aztecs and the Spanish in the early 16th century. We did spend some time analyzing King Montezuma and Conquistador Hernán Cortez in the last two episodes. These are the two leaders in this scenario. But today we're going to fill in more of the gaps to the story. Uh, the two leaders are important, but they were not alone. In fact, in many ways, their stories are controlled more by like the forces around them than they were their own kind of will. So that's going to be really interesting to dive into. The first person I want to introduce in today's episode is probably the most important character in the entire story, and her name is Malinche. Malinche was a local from Mesoamerica who joined the Spanish on their journey to Tenochtitlan. Along the way, Malinche acted as a translator for the Spanish, Uh, and I want you guys to think about that for a second. This entire time... We've kind of just taken for granted the fact that the two sides have been able to communicate to one another. The reality of the fact is that they could not understand each other. The Spanish spoke Spanish and the Aztecs spoke Nahuatl. These two cultures have never met. They've never interacted with one another before, so they could not understand each other when they first meet. Now over time as the years goes on, yeah, they learned each other's languages. Uh, but in 1519, you know, they didn't know what the other person was saying, and so for this reason, Malinche is an extremely important and an extremely powerful person. Here's a, a a primary source excerpt from our friend Diaz del Castillo, the conquistador. He writes this: "This was the great beginning of our conquest, and thus, thanks be to God, things prospered for us. I have made a point of explaining this matter because without the help of Malinche." We, the Spanish, could not have understood the language of Mexico. Malinche knew the language Nahuatl of Guazacualco, which is common to Mexico, and she knew the language Mayan of Yucatan, so that these two could understand one another more clearly. Now, Malinche's origin is in question. Um, The reports are messy, but according to the Florentine Codex, the Spanish actually took her from her home against her will. Montezuma was frightened and filled with terror, not knowing what would happen to the city Tenochtitlan, and it was brought to the attention of Montezuma that a woman of our people here accompanied the Spaniards, interpreting Nahuatl for them. Her name was Malinche. Her home, Tetigpak, they took her from there on the coast. Now this excerpt is very interesting because if she was taken by force, as this kind of implies, saying that she was taken from the coast, uh, then to help the Spanish, then you would probably think, wouldn't she be a little hesitant or reluctant to help them? I mean, sure, she can speak both languages, but why would she be honest and actually help the people who abducted her from her home? In fact, this is a very real possibility, and it actually adds a new layer of complexity to our story, if it wasn't already complicated enough. Keep in mind that during all the interactions between Cortez and Montezuma, we have to remember that Malinche is standing right next to them, and she's the one who's translating. She has all the power here. She could have changed what was being said to suit her own needs, maybe to cause more problems or more confusion than there actually was to get back at the Spanish. We're also kind of assuming that she would have taken the side of the Aztecs, maybe over the Spanish. In reality, it's a lot more complicated because we have to remember that Malinche, even though she's from Mesoamerica, she is not Aztec. Remember in the source, source notes, it talks about her being taken from the coast. And Tecticpac is one of the many places that was ruled by the Aztecs. And if you remember from earlier episodes, the Aztecs weren't the nicest rulers to their subjects. So this additional fact would make it just as likely that she would ally with the Spanish against the Aztecs out of spite for their conquered people. So in addition to Malinche's questionable translations and interpretations of these communication between the Spanish and the Aztecs, we have a new layer of complexity to add to the story. Along the way to Tenochtitlan, the Spaniards stopped stopped at many different settlements. And one of the most notable places that they visited was the home of the Tlaxcala people. Now, geographically, the Tlaxcala are neighbors of the Aztecs. They live nearby to the city. Um, And they were one of the first to be conquered and subjugated very harshly by the Aztec Empire. So the Tlaxcala were used to the Aztecs invading them over and over again and taking their people to serve as human sacrifices for their gods. So when the Spanish show up into their homes, they immediately see an opportunity to use the Spanish as a way to rebel and overthrow the Aztecs. The tax collectors of the great Montezuma had come to inquire why the Tlaxcala had received the Spaniards in their town without the permission of their lord Montezuma, and that they now demanded 20 men and 20 women to sacrifice to their god, Huitzilopochtli, so that he would give them victory over us. For they said that Montezuma had declared that he intended to capture us and make us slaves. Cortez reassured them and told them, do not be afraid, for he was here with all of us in his company, and that he would punish the Aztecs. Now this event that I just read is the beginning of a great relationship between the Spanish and the Tlaxcala. The two powers immediately see a mutual opportunity to unite against the Aztecs. For the Spanish, we know why they're there. They're there for treasure and glory and all that good stuff. And, you know, Cortez to spread the Christian faith, as we learned in last episode. The Tlaxcala are looking for revenge against the Aztecs. What's really interesting here is there's this rumor going around, and I've, heard, and I've read this a couple times. This is not the first time that this line has appeared in these sources, but the Spanish are constantly in fear that Montezuma intends to capture them and, and enslave them, the Spaniards. Um, this, is, this has been said a couple times before, and it's another one of those misunderstandings and misinterpretations at no point in time, according to the story, do the Aztecs actually say that. And so it may be the Spaniards are the ones that are a little bit nervous because after all, there's only like 400 of them. And there are millions of Aztec people. There are millions of people living in the Aztec empire. So they are outnumbered a huge number. So for this reason they are definitely very nervous here. They're, they're they wanna, they want to they want to meet, you know, Montezuma and they wanted they want to get all the all the gold and do the, you know, and spread the faith, but they also are not they're not ignorant. They they know that they can't win on their own. And so this is why Cortez kind of sees an opportunity here. Oh, you guys don't like the Aztecs too? Well, let's 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 team up. We'll protect you and then, you know, you can get your revenge. Now, what happens next is actually even more interesting, because according to the records, the Spanish are accompanied by the Tlaxcala on the rest of their journey. So before they actually get to Tenochtitlan, the two groups stop at a place called Cholula, where the Temple of Quetzalcoatl was. And Diaz writes the following, The Spaniards went to Cholula, taking those of the Tlaxcala with them, dressed for war. When they arrived, they shouted for all noblemen, rulers, captains, chiefs and also the men of the town to assemble in the courtyard of the gods. When they had all gathered, the Spaniards and the Tlaxcala blocked the entrances, all of the places where one could enter. The Aztecs were ambushed because the Tlaxcalans persuaded the Spaniards to do it. So this is a massacre, a really, really sad moment for the Aztecs. Everyone is killed by the Spanish and what really stands out to me about this massacre is the last line. The Tlox Collins persuaded the Spaniards to do it. Now, this is fascinating to me because you really start to question who is actually calling the shots here. So Cortez in our story up until this point has been kind of hailed as like the brains of the operation, right? He's the guy who got them here to Mexico in the first place. He's trying to write to the king to try and get this whole operation going, but this event suggests that the Tlaxcala are the ones looking for vengeance against the Aztecs, and they are willing to commit mass murder to get their way. As far as I can tell, putting all the pieces together, it seems like Cortez is just kind of along for the ride. What's really interesting is the fact that the Tlaxcala join Cortez and the Spanish when he meets Montezuma for the first time, and they actually enter the city together. So that means that the awkwardness has just been ramped up tenfold, right? So not only are the Aztecs trying to figure out who are these Spanish people, what makes them tick, they also have to now worry about the Tlaxcala being in the city, their potential rivals, subjects, but also potential rivals um, in their city, and they're all armed for war. So as the story goes, the Spanish are invited into the city, and negotiations go south very quickly. We remember... Montezuma and Cortez have that conversation in the courtyard, and when Montezuma shows him the gods, Cortez is not happy, and basically everything goes bad. Montezuma is captured by the Spanish, and the Aztecs basically rise up and chase them out of the city. Here's here's an excerpt about what happens that night. When night had fallen, when midnight came, the Spaniards came out in compact formation along with all of the Tlaxcalans. And when it was heard, there was an outcry, and the war boatmen emerged. And from both sides, the war boats attacked the Spaniards. But the Spaniards also shot arrows at the Mexica. They shot with iron bolts and guns. There were deaths on both sides. The Spaniards and the Tlaxcalans were shot with arrows, and the Mexicas were shot with arrows and guns. Now, I want to kind of pause here for a moment because. I want you to think back to when you were in school and maybe you learned about this event in history class. When you're taught about the conquest of Mexico in history class, usually you are told that the Spanish were able to defeat the Aztecs easily thanks to their superior technology, military prowess. They had horses and the Aztecs didn't. They'd never seen them before. And really just that confusion about the Aztecs thinking that they were actually gods. But when we dive into these primary sources, we find that the reality is the Spanish and the Tlaxcala combined were unable to defeat the Aztecs face-to-face. The first battle, which you just read about, which, which I just shared with you in 1519, was an absolute failure for the Spanish. They were vastly outnumbered. They barely escaped the city alive. The only reason they did is because they actually captured Montezuma and he ended up being killed. Remember, uh, in a couple of episodes ago, we discussed how there's kind of a controversy there where we're not really sure how he was killed. But the fact that he was captured, they kind of held him hostage so that they could escape the city. It wasn't until they returned two years later in 1521 that the Spanish actually defeat the Aztecs. So keep in mind, when the Spanish do fight against the Aztecs, they lose. They do not win. It was not until 1521, round two, two years later, that they do win. But the reality of the matter is, is that none of these things that I mentioned before actually gave the Spanish victory. It wasn't the gunpowder. It wasn't their armor. It wasn't the horses. And it wasn't their you know, European military might and brainpower. When the Spanish returned in 1521, they did so with almost no resistance, and that's because the Spanish had an unexpected ally on their side, disease, smallpox specifically. Smallpox ravaged the Aztec population so badly that after two years, when the Spanish returned, they basically walked into an empty city unchallenged so many people were killed by the disease that there was really no one left to even defend the city against them so smallpox it's i mean we could do a whole episode on just smallpox but i want to give you a little information here Um, smallpox is extremely devastating to the indigenous populations now it's not just in the americas it's all over the world at this at this point Um, But it spreads across the Americas way faster than the Europeans can actually travel. So there's actually stories of conquistadors traveling to distant settlements on their journeys, and they just walk into empty cities, abandoned, because of the smallpox. Like entire civilizations were just eradicated by the disease. What makes it more difficult for the Aztec survivors to kind of cope with is that the Spanish are seemingly immune to this disease. And so there's actually there's actually a degree of empire building here, a storytelling because the Spanish are actually just as confused as the Aztecs are. They're kind of starting to think like, "Oh, like why aren't we de- why aren't we getting sick?" They're getting sick, but we aren't. And so they, you know, the monks and the priests and even the conquistadors, they start to actually think, "Oh, maybe this is just another sign that we are destined to do this, right?" God is on our side. He's afflicting these pagans, these um, non-Christians with this, you know, disease. And so, you know, that's just that's just how conquest is, right? That's how nature is. Um, historians, you know, in the modern day, we attribute this, the fact that the Spanish didn't get sick, to the long history of plagues that ravaged Europe, dating really as far back as the ancient Greek period. And the more recent one, at least in this story, it would be the Black Death, or the Black Plague of the 14th century. Now, these plagues were just as devastating to the Europeans. Um, and because they already went through it, the Europeans achieved a sense of herd immunity to this disease. Uh, whereas the Americans, they did not yet have a natural immunity. Now, the data itself is inconclusive on how many people were killed by smallpox, just because we don't really have a solid census. But I have seen estimates as little as 3 million people to as many as 15 million people being killed by the disease in just the first century of contact. Going back to the story that the Spanish would kind of come up with to explain why they weren't getting sick, right? Maybe they were destined by God uh, to conquer, you know, the Americas. What's really interesting is the Aztecs too start to believe that. Um, as, as, you know, the generations after the conquest of Aztecs kind of are raised and taught and are retrained by the Spanish, they really start to believe it because, you know, the disease is evidence, right? Oh, oh, we, our people are dying. And, and so there's different, there's different layers to this. Uh, some of the early Aztecs who are conquered and are, and are being taught Christianity, they actually start to believe, oh, maybe this is the affliction by our old gods, Huitzilopochtli and Quetzalcoatl and, you know, the pantheon of Aztec gods. Maybe this is their punishment to us because we're not doing sacrifices anymore. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing to honor them. Uh, Maybe this is the gods, you know, punishing us. And then as time goes on, they actually do start to buy into the Christian narrative and saying, oh, you know what, it was actually God punishing us because we were resisting the conversion. And so now that we've converted and generations have gone by, things are better now. We're in our place. The Spanish are in charge and that's how it was supposed to be. So the story ends. We have reached the end of the Aztec story and the end of Mesoamerica. The Spanish empire was born out of the ashes of the Aztec civilization, but also the Maya and the Olmec and all the civilizations that came before. Next week, I want to wrap up this topic on with a special episode dedicated to how I teach this topic to my students in my history classes. As you now know, there are many different layers to the story, whether it's the source material, the perspectives of the historical figures, or the motivations behind the characters and the groups involved in the interactions. So find out how I weave all of this information together uh, in a really fun and interactive unit to my, for my students to benefit from You won't want to miss this one, so remember to subscribe to our podcast for alerts, and remember, it's okay to be stuck in the past.